Welcome to Curito Connects. I'm your host, Jen, and I've been conversing with friends around the world about life challenges and impactful moments. Conversations on this platform look at answering the questions, how we overcome challenges and how our experiences shape who we are and the work we do today. I hope this work can inspire you on your own personal and individual journey. Let's dive right in. Hello, my guest today is a fashion design director, having worked for several luxury brands in Paris, London, Berlin to Antwerp, Daniel Herlin. Hi, Daniel. Hello. (laughs) So Daniel and I first met, um, I think it was 2010, right? Was that when you came to Taiwan? Was it 2010? I think so. I mean, I want to say 2005, but that's not true. It just feels so long ago. It does feel so long ago. What a lifetime ago that was. But yeah, I think it was around 2010 um, when you and your other friend, Alice, right? You guys came to visit your classmate, our mutual friend, Dominic, who is also a designer himself. And I hope to get him on this show too in the near future. (laughs) I've invited him several times and he has declined, but anyway, we'll see. So, but we actually met more than once because then I visited Paris in 2013 and we hung out there. And thanks to technology, we have kept in touch since. And I'm thrilled to have watched your career thrive in this last decade. And for you to share with us today the topic on innate creativity and how this has been both challenging and impactful for understanding yourself personally and in excelling in your career. So without further ado, I'll stop my rambling here and have you share your journey with us. Yeah, of course. Well, thanks for having me. It's really uh, fun and nice to be discussing this topic, um, which is a really important topic I've come to realize, especially um, as I've been, you know, recently um, managing uh, like a larger group of younger people and uh, they're all designers and it has come back a lot on the table. And I used to have these really nice bi-weekly meetings with them, which are meetings in which you discuss for 20 minutes, roughly everything that has happened in the week. And it was really interesting for me to find out how many myths around creativity we are all receiving from an early age. And especially when creativity is your job, how like later on you carry this kind of like weird prejudice and insecurities related to those preconceptions that you have in your mind. And it was kind of a work that we did with many of these people to kind of dispel some of that. And it really made me reflect a lot about myself as well. Um, so I think this is kind of why I think this topic really speaks to me in a way yeah Um, I I definitely think so I mean and it's not only like fashion designers I mean obviously this is relevant for any creative right like you could be an artist you can be a musician Um, so I guess you know can we start can we like rewind back and start in your younger days you know can you remember as early as you can recall uh, why fashion for you Right. Or, or did you want to be an artist? <laughs> I, I think I wanted to be. I, I wasn't really entirely clear what a fashion designer was when I was a young child. However, it was very clear to me what artists were. And I knew I was going to be an artist because I think when I was seven, I started writing my autobiography as an artist. <laughs> Thinking I would save time later on somehow. <laughs> Please tell me you still have that draft notebook somewhere sitting. My mother has it. Okay, good. (laughs) 
my mother has it. I mean, I just, I don't even know why. I think I did one day, one drawing, which I really liked. And it was something with like kind of diamonds and crystals. I was really heavily inspired by um, Sailor Moon. It was definitely one of my biggest crushes when I was like a young child. I found the the manga, you know, so like the physical book, not actually the anime. I didn't like the anime quite as much. I found it very like cutesy, but I found the manga kind of nice because it was, you know, they all looked like model. They were really elegant. I've come to learn later that like in a lot of the drawings, they're actually wearing couture gowns like reproduced from Christian Dior runway of Franck Sorbier, which is some really famous designer of that era. Um, and then I was just, I love this so much. And then they had these big jewels and, you know, the jewels had powers and they could transform. And I don't know if you remember, but the jewels would also evolve as she would evolve on her journey. It would start with like a smaller, a like hard brooch and then it would have wings and a bigger crystal inside and like a long, 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 like stick with like tons of stuff on it i mean i don't know i used to find it like so so you know hypnotic like so amazing i think i read the first and the second tome of the the whole saga like a hundred times over maybe um so yeah so i was really inspired by her uh, and i really liked in general historical stories about you know kings and queens and because they were the stories that had the most descriptions of garments and balls because you know obviously to have really beautiful ornate garments you need an occasion and the occasion would be a ball or some kind of ceremonial whatever and this happened a lot in like fairy tales history tales etc um so i used to love fairy tales as well like especially fairy tale from around the world that would describe like all these different exotic different things i don't know i it was really like a massive massive influence on my life and I think as a child, and for a long time, I used to live a lot in my head, in my imagination, um, because I grew up gay in like kind of a rural, you know, environment in France. And, you know, it just wasn't, it, it just wasn't my vibe. <laughs> That's what I just, you know. I it sounds like you were not so happy growing up. I mean, in that environment, right? Like it was like miserable-ish, if I could use that word. Yeah, I mean, it really was. And, you know, like for many years, I didn't really like really understand why. Because, you know, like I think when, when you're six, you don't really know you're gay, but you definitely do feel very different. You know, you feel compelled by certain things. You will see an image of, you know, or maybe when you're eight or 10, you will see an image of a man that is very appealing and you will find that really compelling and you will have no idea why. And, you know, so for you, it doesn't really make any sense, but you could already see adults around you like having premonitions you know your grandmother saying stop dancing around to you but not to your sister you know (laughs) (laughs) were you like um and I think I think that was it I also think you know on on top of the gay thing there was a lot of other personality things you know that I've learned to deal with with age and you know to differentiate to see the nuances of it and what they could be and I think like all together it was like a really thick barrier to my external environment Mm. um and in a certain way it was very difficult for me to relate to everything in my direct surroundings so I just kind of lived a lot in my head I had a really rich inner life you know I would play a lot of video games I would you know read a ton I just I just kind of loved it and manga was like my number one passion for like I don't know like a good like 10 years I would say um I would live for it um because I found it so beautiful and sophisticated and 
you know, then they would eat, you know, okay, because Sailor Moon, okay, she gets transformed and she kills all these villains and stuff. But this aside, when she goes home, she has to remove her shoes. She's like kneeling on the floor and they're eating from that table, all these delicious looking, but strange looking meals, you know. And I, I just found that really fascinating. And it made me think that maybe somewhere, somewhere else, there was this sophisticated other place where we'd slot in just, you know, just right. <laughs> <laughs> of course that's not true but like, you know I just I, you know it was like a refuge you know what I'm saying yeah of course um I'm so glad uh Sailor Moon was where you felt where you belonged yeah. have, have you gone okay wait so I, I mean I don't want to sidetrack but let's stay on on track here so then you well I mean now that you shared this story with us I do want to I do want to ask like at what point were you able to kind of peel that onion you know those uh-huh. layers uh and then I mean going back to fashion again so you decided to go to fashion school right it was like a bit more complicated than that but I really liked fashion so you know like as I grew up as a teenager and stuff like I think fashion became a main mode of expression so I would dress really flamboyantly um you know and then again it's really funny because it seems like it would be maybe a method of connecting with other people but now that I think of it it also became some kind of other barrier um because people just would not understand me and I wouldn't understand them either and I really you know I got so much shit yeah I was gonna ask did you get bullied oh my god so much and also like you know, I think I had like almost a sixth sense to choose clothing that would be problematic without really meaning to, you know, I think I remember once I was 16, I bought a pair of flared trousers, ultra bleached with crisscross in silver glitter on it. Mm. And I was wearing that with like a polyester shirt with a print of the galaxy on it. And this was in 2000 something, like early 2000s in the suburbs. And it was like... I mean, obviously, you know, I got threatened to be beat up, etc. The, the 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 only redeeming thing in all this is I developed pretty good self-confidence and I'm pretty tall. So, you know, people would think twice before actually doing it. So, but yeah, it was very like crazy. And then my mom, you know, just had no idea how to react with that. She was like, well, you know, maybe you shouldn't dress like this. <laughs> you know? And like, obviously you shouldn't say that, but like, what what else was she supposed to say? I mean, I, I think she's never had this problem. She couldn't get it. And I was like, no, it has nothing to do with it. <laughs> um, bless her heart, but she stuck with you. I mean, she su- supported you. Yeah. In, I mean, in, in ways she knew best, her. in ways she knew best, right? Like how, how to kind of be there for yeah. you, but kind of protect you at the same time and try to understand you. Yeah, I think I honestly, you know, of course, I feel like, you know, if I had children now and if they went through something similar, I would take it completely differently. But I mean, I do felt felt, felt uh, unconditional love. And um, I do think, you know, because I was so headstrong in my choices, um, you know, my parents really went with it to evolve. But also because, you know, and this is, again, the same thing that I was telling you earlier. I'm not entirely sure what part of this is just me as I am or what part of it is just my maybe I'm a little neurodiverse but I I just I would I would not be able to lie or to be different every time I try to be really normal to fit in the theme it just would backfire like ridiculously so you know I learned very early on that there was no choice between myself because all the other choices just didn't work you know 
Um, ah. And I think maybe that realization made people who were close to me have to accept it because I think they could see that I just couldn't, I, you know, I couldn't do anything about it myself. Right. Even though I tried. Right. You know? And you, and you did try, right? Like, it's not like you I were tried. like fighting against it. You were like, okay, I'm going to try to. I tried so hard. <laughs> I like tried to change my hair, tried to change the way I walked, tried to change the way I speak, tried to hang out with different people, tried to get some other interests. Yeah. I tried really, really hard. I tried to disguise everything. I tried to not talk about the fact that I'm gay to people. You know, I, I really tried so many things, but it just never really worked. And, you know, and yeah, then after that, but it's interesting because it's really given me a, maybe a more nuanced approach of things, you know, having to be so critical against yourself. Of course, you know, I would have preferred to just be myself. But now I think it gives me a lot more empathy to a lot more people because I can, I feel like identify to that you know right. trying to be someone else anyways well <laughs> well that was I mean that was a great foundation for us to really understand um your upbringing and how you beat through all that you were able to stay very grounded at a very early age actually right to be yeah. comfortable in your own skin to really know yourself right and and this is great because what I mean what I meant by great was because then we can transition into this yeah. topic that we had been talking about before we started recording, which is, you know, in the fashion industry, right? And, yeah. and, and we want to talk about innate creativity, which I'll let you kind of elaborate on because yeah. prior to you telling me innate creativity, I didn't even really think about that actually. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you can elaborate on innate creativity and why that was the topic you chose, but, you know, then we can kind of dive into this whole, you know, give people an exposure of the fashion world, right? From the back yeah. end, <laughs> from the side we don't see, or, you know, that we see on movies and TV shows, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, so fashion is really heavily glamorized now. And it is something that sounds really amazing and really shiny from afar. And that's always part of the appeal. I mean, a little bit less for me, because for, I think I just really liked the products of it. And I just really liked the vision of it. But like the glamour part was interesting, but not as interesting as it may be some others. And so when I studied um, at St. Martin's, you know, you did this kind of like general year where you do everything. And at the time I did think I was going to do fine arts um, because I just found the social environment in fashion was maybe not suiting me. You know, I felt like it was full of like, you know, the things that I was trying to escape in some way, which is really funny because it had been my, you know, the, the light at the end of the tunnel for me and I was like oh I feel like this is no I don't feel like I can do this <laughs> um, but really interestingly at the St. Martin's Foundation um, this woman I can't remember what she 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 what her name was she was some kind of like director of that first year and you know everyone wanted to do fashion in that foundation and then since I didn't want to do it it was so much easier for me because <laughs> I was like no I'm not doing it but I did do the trial thing you know so you have three weeks and I think each course and so when I did the fashion one like people were just having complete meltdowns and I think one of the first thing this woman said she was like well you know there's a really big difference in, be in between being a consumer of fashion and being a fashion creator and I always thought oh yeah that's so true actually mm -hmm. you know it's like because it's really it's really different one is really like the, the more glamour parts you know which is when the product is almost done and you know you have all of that and in fact now it's really jobs it's like being a stylist or whatever and they're really like interesting jobs but at the time they were less I guess well known and then the design part 
is the unglamorous part because it's everything prior to the product. Right. So you have a lot less glamour in that side. You know, it's the side where you're like there at 2 a.m. for the nth time in a row looking at some fucking twirl and like some really tired model and everyone's really tired. And, you know, that part is like the not as glamorous. And you go to the factory and again, it's not a glamorous uh, area, even though the people in the factories are amazing and they're artistic and stuff, but it's not glamorous. You know, it's in an industrial area. It's not in the center of the city in some <laughs> hotel, you know? Um, so, so initially you were going to do like painting because you said fine arts. Like, were you going to uh, become a art. painter or? No, like more a... like um, an installation artist. Mm. Um, I just, uh, so, you know, I was really interested in concept and how it translated into a physical reality. Um, and I like that in fine arts things could be really threadbare but really impressive at the same time you know and um I think when I was younger one of the the artist movements that I liked the most was called Arte Povera which means poor art in Italian and it was this extremely modern movement where in the 60s this is Italian people created these pieces of art usually installations but also other nature with uh, usual objects in a way that made it look a little poor, but also had such strong, raw aesthetic and message. And I felt very moved by this. Um, and so, so then I thought, oh, well, maybe there is this possibility. But I also realized one thing, and this is where I think I have to always thank my mother, you know, when there was this, I don't know, can you say pitch for, I don't know, you know, like the road separates in two, two, and you have to choose one of them. Um, she said to me, she was like, just don't do fine art. She was like, you know, it's just all about talking. It's all about this concept, but I know you and you're going to be, you know, so bored. I think you want this pace and this excitement and this heat that fashion brings. And she says, like, fashion will bring you to be in other countries. Fine arts, you can do it in France. And she was like, just do it. I know, I know this is where you'll be happier. And I think just like that, she kind of like really helped me decide. Um, so I'm really grateful to her. For that, that ma mother knows best <laughs> not always but this time this time she she did you know she she sometimes gets really ang like angry because i always ask for her opinion and really follow it and <laughs> i told her very early on i was like listen when i ask you for your opinion i don't want you know you to give me an advice i want you to give me an idea of what you think so that i can see my situation from another perspective so I was like, this is why I'm not taking your advice. It's not because I wanted your advice in the first place. I wanted your vision. <laughs> but yeah, anyways, that, that's pretty funny. So, and, um, you know, the, yeah, there came this road and then I had to, to decide what to do. And then I, I was like, okay, if however much I decide not to do fashion, I'm always interested in textile and in clothes. And, you know, even my fine arts was kind of related to that. And I was like, I just have to stop you know, and I can't decide not to do a career just because I don't like the social environment of the school. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of stupid. And at this point, I decided to stick with it and to get over all my anxieties, <laughs> just go for it. And how um, did you get over your anxiety? Just by deciding to do it. Um, you know, it's really hard to like explain this, but for example, I just feel like when people, when you ask people have they've done something, they never have a really good explanation. And that, that's because there isn't one really. My grandmother, um, you know, her husband died when my mother was really um, young, but she, 
she had so many businesses and she was relentless and she always grew them. Then she got a restaurant. Then she, she got a Michelin star, even though she had no prior like cooking training. I was like, how did you do it? And she was like, I just had no choice. So I just did it. And I thought that was a really good way, you know, because like when you're in front of the situation, then you just kind of have to go with it. Um, you have to believe and trust in yourself enough. Um, and you have to try and find a way for it to work for you. Mm. I like what your grandmother said. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel like I'm quoting a lot. I mean, I have to say I've always loved my grandparents. I mean, I, I love everyone in my family, but my grandparents specifically were such characters. and They've always been like a big inspiration in my life. You know? <laughs> Did they get to live to see you excel in your fashion career? Only one of them. But um, it's really funny because my other grandmother, I sometimes have dreams where she's in it and we have conversations yeah so um so I feel like yeah she she knows I mean even if it's like my brain just making it work but you know it works for me very cool going back to when you first opened and talked about mentoring your uh staff like your younger staff members and what you were realizing in the conversations you were having with them and how does that go back to for yourself having, you know, let's say this is two, almost two, de- two decades. Are we hitting two decades? Yeah. A decade or yeah, 15 years ish yeah. in this career path that you see a lot of resemblance of yourself when you were a young designer and, a, you know, and, you know, as a creative and how some, you know, I guess like you were saying earlier, debunking certain myths in this industry yeah. and, uh, I guess in some ways it's like, what would you have told your younger self, what you know now? Um, and how did you yourself kind of get out of that funk too, right? And we had talked about this previously too. A lot of times uh, young students who go through fashion school uh, want to, you know, I guess there's two tracks, right? Either you want to go through school and do your own collection yeah. and be your own boss and go down that path right? You're talking about the fork road or you decide, Hey, you know, I want to work for these amazing brands and work under these amazing creative directors, um, and walk down that path. Very, two very different paths, both of which you've done too. Um, so yeah, I'm going to circle us back into, to this. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Sorry. I feel like I'm uh, going on a lot of tangents. Um, there's actually a third path that you haven't talked about, uh, which happens oh, cons- a lot. Consulting, consulting. Huh? No, that no, one? actually, oh. it's just not working either as a fashion designer, so working at another role in fashion, or just not working in fashion at all. This happens okay. quite a lot, actually, because there's so many fashion schools, and there's nowhere near the amount of jobs or opportunities that for all these people. And that, I think, is something that needs to be said, because I think there is a lot of a myth about that. And it's really, it's, it's a real industry in which they make a lot of money. Like these schools are not cheap. Like if you know anybody who's done them, it's like tens of thousands, maybe more um, to do this. So I think that that I always feel like is unfair and should be stated first of all, you know, it's very, very competitive. And I think it brings it to the second point, you know, where you're talking about, you know, the confidence, the things that you learn inside you and the two career paths. Basically, when you do your fashion, when I entered the fashion school, um, I had so many misconceptions, but I also had no idea and I didn't really like the other people, let's be honest. But 
may, because of my own prejudice and also because of who I was, the things that I experienced, how I, I handled physical, uh, like social contact, I found all of that really excruciating. But I, when they arrived, some, so many of them were so impressive. They were dressed in cool designer brands or if not things that were cheaper but looked really good. They knew everything. They went to parties. They had really good contacts and knew some people. They looked great. Some people looked almost like models. You know, at the time, almost like models because models were a lot more standard but these days models. I mean, if I were in school now, you know, I would imagine a lot of them have got actually a lot of followers on different social medias, which I think would probably give me like, again, anxiety because if I hadn't been able to do that myself, then I'd feel already like I've pre-failed even though I'm just starting my career. Um, and then, you know, it, because fashion is so subjective and uh, creativity is really subjective, you really have this feeling that some people have got this innate, everything is perfect type thing and that you're never going to be able to equal or have as successful a career. And, you know, somehow you feel, you can feel very invisible very quickly. And you can also, you know, it, it can take a real dent in your, in your confidence, especially, for example, if you don't come from a background that's like as, you know, rich, not necessarily in terms of money, but also in terms of contacts and cultural exchanges, etc. Because you, you maybe you were a big fish in a small pond, but suddenly you're like a tiny fish in a much bigger pond. Um, and so that makes you really doubt and wonder whether your voice is really, uh, you know, like makes sense or is really important. And, you know, sometimes, if you have some really great skills that you can already express yourself into. For example, some people are amazing at painting or drawing and stuff. So it will add like an artistic edge to a lot of the things that they do and this will become like a weapon. But if you're, what you rely on is just the strength of your idea and you have to develop everything else, you can really, yeah, you can really feel a lot of inferiority. And it was interesting because during my school years and even during my working years after I just felt a sinking sense of being really uncool, unconnected, um, not adequate, maybe not imaginative enough, um, et cetera. And I would always really, really um, doubt myself. Often in many situations, I wouldn't show it or express it so much, but I would be in this kind of inner, inner turmoil. And my way of dealing with it was to produce more and more and more just in order to like balance and stuff. Um, and then later on, it became kind of a signature, the ability to produce really quickly a profusion of different ideas uh, meant that I had more to choose from. But like at the time, it was really tiring and really worrying because it was done in like this kind of, uh, I can't do this, I can't do that. And you know, um, because in your head, you're trying to rank it. You're like, oh, well, this person has these ideas that are like really cool and really modern right now. And they really look like this designer. So it's really great. And everyone's like, oh my God, so-and-so is so cool and looks so great. And you're like, yes, they do. And you're like, what am I? You know, I'm definitely not as cool as the first person, not as beautiful as the second person, not as connected as the third person, definitely not as rich as the fourth person. <laughs> so you're like, and it's, it's, you know, because fashion is a lot about this kind of things. It's extremely competitive. So you get to a point where you can really doubt your own creativity. And I find that I missed voices where people would be like, come up and be like, well, listen, you actually, the things that I've seen you do in this way are actually really elegant. They're really tailored to that kind of market. They work extremely well. And this is something that you can use. It doesn't mean you're restricted to that. It doesn't mean you're married to that, but it means that you can do that really easily and that this is a lucrative and interesting skill for you to have. 
you know, taking it with a little bit more of a distance, making it a little bit more neutral, giving you actual kind of, um, you know, words, putting words, quantities and appreciations on things. And I think this is not something that happens often enough, especially with younger, younger people and younger designer. Um, and that, that I think is, it makes it very difficult because then it creates like a universe where like no one's really confident, you know, everything is really like, it's really hard to tell what's good, what's not. So yeah, that was kind of, you know, where I was in my head and what slowly kind of started decanting in my mind, you know, to respect different people's point of view and creativity, to be able to assess them in a more neutral way, rather than just going for the things that I like or the thing that I thought were cool, but be like, this person has a really classic style that can produce really elegant things that are tailored for a market of people who have really like safe taste, but really beautiful taste. This person can do something really explosive and creative, but maybe they're a little bit limited when it comes to refining things. And this is maybe where they can grow, you know, this kind of things. And these are elements that you can work from, not, oh, it's really cool, or it's really uncool, or it doesn't work, or, it, you know, like, this is just like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I know what you're saying. It, I, I'm just, I mean, people can't see our facial reactions here, but I'm kind of, you know, like my mouth is dropping going, oh my God, it's so cutthroat. Like in a way, it's so funny because creativity comes so much of creativity comes from within right and and like what you said earlier what you've been exposed to it's very much an expression of yourself too right what whatever uh modality it is that you choose right like what wherever like kind of what you said earlier wherever your niche technique is at right and really being able to own that technique and style and be like you know this is what I love doing and this is what I'm good at and you know, kind of throwing yourself out there into the bigger, bigger ocean. So as you said earlier, but at the same time, it almost also sounds like for young designers, the environment doesn't also hold that kind of space, like what you just said, where there's more, like, would you say that you had a lot of great mentors who also guided you in that path, right? Like, I feel like once you, (laughs) it almost sounds like, I mean, please correct me if I'm wrong, but it almost sounds like once you graduate from school and get thrown out there, it's like, okay, go fight now, (laughs) go fend for yourself, you know, and you might be competing for the same job with a classmate of yours or, you know, and the, and like you said, when you get to, you know, there's so many facets and so many different job opportunities in, in the industry, but as a creative, as a designer, that funnel is small, right? Then you kind of all know each other and you kind of all know each other's talents and, you know, (laughs) It's very incestuous in that way. But yeah, I think you're completely right. I think I, you know, there's multiple uh, aspects to this, as you said. I think, first of all, you know, it took me a, a long while to understand who I was, you know, the things that made me feel really uncomfortable personality-wise, you know, uh, certain traits that I had that I really had to deal with. And I think this is something that could only happen with time and like, you know, maturity and stuff. But I mean, yeah, aside from that, I did find it very cut cutthroat. And some people had you know, a completely different experience. I know a few people who have had these amazing careers because, you know, they've somehow met the right person early on. And this person has taken them and brought them on this journey with them. And they've had like stellar career because this alchemy worked really well. 
but I also kind of felt like it was never going to be my thing because I'm not somebody who's really good at being mentor mentored. I feel like I have to learn things by myself. Mm. And, you know, in that way, it just didn't really connect. And I also, you know, I don't think it, it, there's also a luck factor and it wasn't, it wasn't there, but I do think it's really hard for a lot of people. And I, you know, there is a reason why a lot of people leave fashion to become yoga teachers. And that's because actually, oh. yeah, I know quite a few people. And I actually, I'm really happy for them because I do think like, you know, they find something that rather than working on people's appearance, they work on people's inner peace and like, what a beautiful thing to do. But I do think there is a reason for that. And that I think uh, in the fashion industry, and I'm putting myself in there, I think we really have to strive for more inclusion, for better treatment of you know, young designers, people who are other things. And I think it is our duty to help them grow, grow creatively, grow as professional and human beings. And I think it's totally doable. It's totally possible. But I think it requires a degree of openness, especially if you're the manager, to explain, well, I actually really struggled with this in my career before. I agree with you. Or, you know, even if you see things, you know, you open a magazine or Instagram and this person is extremely like, suddenly really famous and stuff and you know sometimes you have to dispel that I remember being at the pub with like some of my young designers and be like listen I, I read an article about this designer who's 25 in the New Yorker who's like great and everything's happening great but I think if you read between the line you can see this person who comes from a really wealthy background it, it doesn't diminish their ability it doesn't diminish their you know the fact that they're like really good and you know they have a really great sense of aesthetics but it also needs to be said that stellar careers happen a lot easier when you don't have to worry about the rent that you have to pay when you don't have to worry about like you know when you're next gonna eat are you gonna have to go back home to some random rural place and live in your parents basement you know it works a lot better if you can go on holidays between job which you know you can't really do when you're like younger and you know you're on a really low salary so there's a lot of things like this and I think you know, if within the fashion industry we continue to propagate ideas like that, then I think it's quite negative. I think I like, it's important. I like that you you brought up that article because I do feel like we don't talk about it enough and we don't give people credit for you know, it's kind of like what you said, you know, with social media, you just see so many things, right? And yeah. and and you know, fashion world and again, creative world, it's, it's all visual. So much of it's yeah. visual, right. And with all these tools, it's so easy to just put something out there, right. Yeah. Whether or not there is substance or content or et cetera, et cetera. Right. Because it's just so easy to visually put something that looks nice, that makes sense, that could potentially be something, but it's yeah. so much noise. And at the same time, individuals, like you said, in that article who, you know, has talent, but has that background to be yeah. able to do what they're doing, you know, still have to give them credit for having the talent, but also yeah. acknowledge that there is a reason how that individual got 10 steps ahead of you. Yeah. And there is nothing wrong with that. Like, you know, I think there's a sense of also jealousy sometimes in there. It's like, oh, okay, well, yeah. that was easy for them because they were born into that family and then they had the money and they had the connections to, you know, to rent a studio space and, you know, yeah. fund all of that, fund their label, so to speak. But I think we have to also look at it from the other side, like you said, and be like, you know, well, good for them. You know, it's also yeah. a big step to do that because it's not easy either, right? It might seem like so easy for them, but they're also yeah. struggling in other ways. 
Yeah, you know, so definitely. so I think it's it's important to you know, which you obviously told your mentees, like it's important to read between the lines and understand it from all angles, right? It's not, it's not so you know quick to point your finger at them and say, "Ugh, look at that." <laughs> of no, course, I mean, they did it. <laughs> I can see how you know that's that's tempting. Also, you know, when you feel like you've struggled for so long and you see somebody like making it in two years, you know. <laughs> like who seems to have like the perfect life and of course not but I also feel like you know this is also uh, a job that you know I think a lot of people have to do these days where you know you have to recognize your own privilege I mean for example you know the title I got to I'm white I'm a cisgender man there's a few other people who had the same title and they were also white cisgender men and you know then you can also be like well I got it from my merit, but maybe not just from my, merit, you know, mm-hmm. because uh, where I, I don't know, like a, a black um, woman, clearly I wouldn't have gotten that title. I mean, maybe you know, like it just seemed like it's it's not there. So I think you know you you have to also be critical of your own situation because you you know the same thing could happen to you really, you know. Yeah. So um, empathetic, being empathetic, always. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's funny because, like, I think a lot of people, I'm also pretty, like, outspoken and sometimes pretty pissed off. So I, I don't know if people would, like, necessarily say I'm the most empathetic person straight away, but I think I run a little deeper than that, I hope. <laughs> and there's, like, there's an undercurrent of empathy somewhere underneath. <laughs> well, hopefully, you know, when you work with others in the future, if you, you feel like, you know, if they felt like their feelings were hurt, you can just throw them this episode and be like, have a listen. <laughs> It's much, it's much deeper than that 10 minute interaction we just had in that meeting. <laughs> exactly. I've insulted you, but listen to this. I could also not insult you sometimes when you don't piss me off. Um, no, but yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. But going back to like, you know, creativity, I, one thing I used to say to them also, a lot, a lot of them, especially the younger people who are more like trainees and stuff, um, I used to say to them, there is this myth because, you know, some, on some projects, since we do visuals, you know, like in my team, it would be like all the visuals that go on the product. Um, you know, sometimes you get a bit of a, something that's for like, I don't know, motorcycle and it's really exciting, it's totally up your alley. Then you have to do something very delicate with flowers for some kind of a blouse and you don't feel the vibe and it looks like shit, everything that you do. And you think you're following the subject, but you're really not everything you're producing sucks, um, you know, I don't like any of it, I tell you, and, you know, then it's like a little meltdown, and then we discuss it. And then I think I always say to them, you know, there is this idea that some people just will sit there and, like, the ideas will keep flowing all the time. And it's so not true. It's also such a practice, you know, you have to, like, have your own shortcuts, understand how your creativity works, probably in waves, probably you need to also have a setup you know, uh, where you feel comfortable working in, maybe you will work on a Photoshop silhouette, you know, where you take a picture of something and you immediately put images inside the silhouette to try and compose something that looks nice with it, but maybe that's not your vibe as well. So maybe you have to find that way and you need to be really quite consistent and question your practice. If you notice that you have patterns that kind of bring you down and you really get stuck, maybe you get three or five really nice ideas and then when you have to refine them further so that they become full, full integrated design, you get stuck because somehow you can't refine them further. And it's, you can tell, you know, you, it took you half an hour and suddenly it takes you two days and it's not even finished. 
then you have to be really critical and be like, okay, that doesn't work for me. So how can I make you know, that next step where it's less creative, but still creative work for myself? And then you have to understand you know, what works for you and what doesn't. Maybe you need to listen to certain music. Maybe you need to listen to no music. Maybe you need to take a break every hour. Maybe you need to take a break every 30 minutes, but a really quick break. You know, maybe you need to work in another room. Uh, all these different things. And I think these are really, really important because even really famous artists, you know, I don't know about Picasso, but like a lot of really famous artists, they do work with a method to optimize their work because they know, you know, if you were going to paint 100 or 150 paintings, then you better have your method. Otherwise, you're going to be wasting a ton of time on boring bits. So, yeah. Um, Do they teach you this in school? Not at all. And I think that's hilarious. <laughs> because I was like, I mean, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. You know, when I got out of school, I felt like I didn't really know, <laughs> you know, like I, I felt like I learned everything on the job. And, you know, I'm not saying everyone did a bad job, but I was a little bit like, you know, it wasn't really so helpful, at least to me, you know, maybe the methods was not in tune with what was in the industry. I think some part of it was that. But, but is this something that like you and your other creative friends chat about? Like kind of like, okay, so I I would consider myself half a creative, you know, coming yeah. up with Curito and what I'm doing is, you know, there is a creative process to it. And there are times where I get stuck, right? So I'm like, I'm stuck. Like, you know, like I'm stuck. I, I can't like, I'm, I have like this block. I, you know, I'm not, and kind of like what you just said earlier, like I do need to, to be, you know, I have to change environments sometimes or like once I get this idea, like I'm sitting down for hours and it's like, please don't interrupt me because that creative juice is in my head right now. And yeah. if you interrupt me, then that will just like F my, you know, my, my working mojo, so to speak. Yeah. So I'm just curious also if as creatives, this is something you guys kind of share, you know, it's kind of like, oh yeah, when I get stuck, this is what I do, you know, or like, do you guys kind of throw these ideas around and share sometimes, or maybe this is what you should bring into your 20 minute mentee bi-weekly meetings too. <laughs> well, I mean, this is, this is, um, honestly, this is the first thing I do usually when I get anywhere. I just say, cause I have like pretty set, not rigid but I have a pretty set way of working like it's because I, I'm somebody who likes systems if I don't have a system I actually get really demotivated I can be very fast and faster than a lot of other people if I have my system if not then I can be slower than everyone else because I have no idea where I'm going I get really distracted I don't think about it I'm not motivated and stuff was so, that something you developed over time like that yeah. you, like that you were like oh this really works for me like this is how this you know, like, yeah. how, how long did that take for you to figure that out? I think quite a few years. I, essentially, what happened is this. I realized early on that I could do some things extremely quickly, quicker than everyone else. And they looked really good and they were really convincing. But then I, when it came to refining them, I was slower than everyone else. And I felt like the refining part was ne not necessarily the most creative, difficult part. So I was like, why am I so stuck on this? And then I slowly realized a lot of things that were really important for me. I have to listen to reality TV episodes when I'm working on the refining parts because they're 45 minutes long. They're all people talking to one another, so I don't really have to pay attention. But if it's music, it's too short. And then I will maybe object to the next song or I will not feel com comfortable with it. So it distracts me too much. So, you know, things like this. 
but that's really when I work for me. But for example, I will be, I'll, I'm also very organized in how I want it. I like to have one, one kind of support, like media size for everything. Then once I've gotten to a certain stage, I print everything out to look at it in a different environment. So not on the computer anymore, but in real life. Then I will do a first edit. I will write all the comments of everything I want to change in a long list with everything, you know, like every little thing that I've printed. And then I will go through each of the comments methodically to try and like erase everything. And then of course I'll have other ideas while I do that. But because I, I drive, I drive it in chunks and in chunks that seem achievable, like the end result comes a lot easier. Mm, that's your system. That is, but you know, I, this really only happened because I, some of it was like me realizing that. And then I have to say, there is this one person that I've worked with for years. Um, and she and I, we're very like different, but complimentary. And I learned a lot from working with her. I thought she was like incredible in being extremely organized, extremely efficient. And, you know, we had like a, a very different life experience and stuff. But I mean, we loved each other. We were really good friends to this day. But I just, I felt like I learned so much from her. Um, and I felt like I just, you know, I just did this thing where you kind of like absorb something from somebody yeah. and you're like, well, this can work for me in that way. And I think she kind of did the same as well. And so I think um, it was really like a super beneficial exchange. Um, and I owe a lot to this person. That sounds like a healthy relation, healthy working relationship there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really was. Uh, also, we've been through so much together, you know, like having to do all these late nights and stuff. So I think, you know, this bond is feels so strong. Yeah. You know, that's so nice. I know. So there's always, there's, there's definitely positive sides to it all too. Um, we're, you know, we're kind of coming short on time so okay. before we wrap up I mean thank you again for sharing so much uh, that was very insightful but what I mean I usually I, I, I will I have a few questions so I want to ask uh, first off um, what would you tell designers who are listening to this episode your, your um, two cents <laughs> my two cents be realistic um, about you know where you want to go with it but also be open and try and be really conscious of who you are, what are your strengths and the things that are not your strength, how can you make them better? Because if you know yourself and you will feel confident, you will feel comfortable and you will bring the best bits of yourself out there. Well said. <laughs> we'll, put that, we'll put that in quotes. <laughs> and then um, what keeps you grounded so oh, you I mean and, and it could be like books it could be podcasts you listen to you know it could be uh like you said or maybe like a place you like to go to like when you get burnt out you're like I need to go travel here or you know I mean travel slowly coming I mean you're you're currently sitting in LA right now <laughs> <laughs> well it's two things I would say it's uh well first of all my husband who doesn't work in fashion and is a very chill um, person with who's super insightful and all about communication. So I think, you know, he always takes it away from the hysteria and the stress because he's not into that and he doesn't like that. So that I think makes it really good. And second thing, and this is going to sound really boring, but I'm sorry, um, the gym. You don't have to be <laughs> sorry. 
Well, I mean, actually, you know, I wish I could bring something a little bit more unexpected, but honestly, there is. No, I'm, I'm going there almost every morning, um, you know, so I think without it, I do feel a little less motivated and, yeah. But you didn't always go to the gym, right? Like, when did that habit develop? I tried so hard <laughs> to go to the gym since my early 20s. But I think it, it took a while for me to find a system and to make it work in my life. And, you know, to also say to other people, oh, I can't do that because I'm going to the gym or, you know, I kind of had to accept that I was like vain enough that I wanted to, my body to look good because that was really my main motivation. Um, but then I think this is the great thing with age. You know, you, you're less subconscious, you're less bothered. You're like, you're not happy with that. You know what? F you, I'm going to do it anyways. So... Well, it's, and, you know, in a way it's like setting boundaries for yourself too, right? Like yeah. things that make you feel good. And so why would you give that up to go, like you said, socialize or go drinking? I mean, um, those are fun too. And those make you feel good from yeah. time to time, but there is truth to having habits and routines sometimes as well. Right. I mean, that's yeah. why there's tons of books about it. And you know, a lot of us yeah. are pra- trying to practice and build that kind of routine and, and habits. Um, so I think that's great that you found that and that it works for you. Yeah, I mean, totally. I also think, you know, having spent so many years trying to please other people, you know, like when I was saying to you, I'm trying not to be gay, trying to change who you are and stuff. You know, you also have this thing inside yourself where you're like, oh, well, uh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't do this or maybe I should, you know, like this kind of thing. And um, it's really hard sometimes to to be like, yes, I actually want to do that. Or yes, I feel like I should want to do that. (laughs) And like sometimes they're really hard to tell apart you're like mm, okay which one is it this time yeah well I think that this is just like the beginning part of reflecting on the last two decades and it'll be yeah. fun to see later on you know if we pick up again a few years later to yeah. reflect what it looks like <laughs> yeah because you know it's all, it's ever evolving right um but thank you so much for for sharing that and, and I think well, a lot thanks. of the creatives who listen to this will will probably resonate with with the storyline that you've shared. So thank you very much. Well, I hope so. I hope it brings someone something. I mean, I just felt like, you know, when I was younger, I wish someone had told me this kind of thing, just to take the the kind of like hysteria out of it and to give it like a maybe a little bit more of a serene approach to it. Yeah, of. definitely. Thank All you. Right. Thanks. That's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening to Curito Connects. For more Connects content, collaborations, and discoveries set to inspire you on your own individual journey, please head to our website at www.curito.co. Until next time, stay inspired and thank you for joining us at Curito Connects.